Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Do you ever think about the people that you would like to meet in heaven? I've got a long list of people, and one of the joys of eternity is going to be endless amounts of time with people from biblical history and church history and modern life who know the Lord Jesus, whom we would like to have long talks with and do things with and have tea with and um, talk to over meals. And one of the people that I really am excited about meeting is the evangelist Philip. Now, there are four Philips in the Bible. All of them are in the New Testament. Two of them are bad. They are Roman rulers, but the other two are good. One is Philip the Apostle. He was one of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke say very little about him, but John must have really liked him because in the Gospel of John, he shows up again and again. The other Philip is called Philip the Evangelist, and we meet him to begin with in Acts chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, we're continuing today our series of studies into the book of Acts. And in chapter 6, the early church was divided over this one issue. I don't think it was a very serious division, but it was enough to cause some grumbling. And that is that there were the Hebrew-speaking Christians who were indigenous to Judah and to Jerusalem. And then there were the Greek-speaking Jews who had immigrated from other parts of the Roman Empire in order to be in Israel. And some of the widows of these Greek-speaking Jews weren't as well known, and they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, which apparently was an important ministry in the early church. And so the apostles got everybody together, and they said, let's choose seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, And we will turn this responsibility over to them so that we can keep our attention where it should be on the ministry of prayer and the Word. And so Acts chapter 6, verse 5 says, This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip. And then there are five others. So we go on to chapter 7, and it is devoted to Stephen and to his famous sermon, uh, the longest sermon in the book of Acts, and it ended with his being stoned to death and becoming the first martyr. And then chapter 8 is devoted to the second of these deacons or evangelists, and his name is Philip. So here is a man, the entire chapter 
8 of Acts is devoted to him. This is a man who has one full chapter in the Bible devoted to him. So I just want to go through chapter 8. It is a chapter full of evangelism. Philip was just so zealous about sharing Jesus Christ with other people wherever he was. So let's begin with chapter 8 and verse 1 as it relates to the death and the martyrdom of Stephen. It says, Saul approved to their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, we'll meet up with Saul later when he is converted on the Damascus Road. But now the attention turns to Stephen. In verse 4 of the 8th chapter, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, in the margin of my Bible, I said, do I do this? Wherever they went, they preached the word. They gave out the gospel. They were so consumed with what Jesus had done in their lives and with the reality of his resurrection that they couldn't help themselves. And I think that if our gospel is going to prevail in this day and age, we've got to preach the word wherever we go. It says in verse 5 that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. It says he went down to Samaria because wherever you are, Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem is up, but actually Samaria is to the north of Jerusalem, and this is an area for which Jesus had a particular concern. Now, I have a theory. I've not yet been able to prove it to my satisfaction, but my theory is that Samaria represented the lost ten tribes of Israel because in the days of the Old Testament, the Assyrians came and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, which was headquartered in Samaria, and depopulated the land and brought in uh, strangers who intermingled with the survivors, and they became the Samaritans. So the Jews in, of Judah and of Jerusalem, especially the, uh, the Pharisees and the Orthodox, hated the Samaritans because they represented a diluted form of Judaism. But actually, in the DNA of some of these Samaritans was the um, genetics of the ten lost tribes. And Jesus seemed to have a particular concern for Samaria. You know, in John chapter 4, he went up to the Samaritan town and he evangelized there, stayed several days with the um, uh, Samaritan woman and the people of the village uh, who came to him. And then later he told the apostles to make sure that they evangelize Samaria. He said in John in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses for me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in the book of Revelation, there are going to be 144 evangelists chosen from all 12 tribes of Israel. So these 10 lost tribes are not really lost. God knows who they are, and I have a suspicion that the Samaritans represented the bloodline of what was left of the ten tribes, and Jesus was very concerned for them. And so here Philip went to Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. It says in verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. 
For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So this evangelist Philip, not one of the twelve, not that Philip, but one of the seven, had a ministry that was very much like the ministry of Jesus. And it says in verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. The famous Schofield Reference Bible really had its birth when C.I. Schofield drew a line in his own Bible between Philip preaching the word in Samaria and there being great joy in that city. He made a connection there between the preaching of the word and joy, and that began the cross-referencing system that that led to his Bible. Well, there is a real connection between the joy that occurs in a particular geographical region and its receptivity of the gospel. But now we have an interesting character, Simon the Sorcerer. It says in verse 9, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. This was a demonically empowered man, a witch doctor, who apparently had the ability to to do a great um, many wonders of one kind or another, and had popularity and held sway over the population of at least a certain region in Samaria. It says in verse 9, he boasted that he was someone great. There are so many people today who think they are great. Some of them are in Washington, D.C., but I just say that as an aside. It says he boasted that he thought he was someone great, and all of the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself believed and was baptized. It doesn't say he pretended to believe. This man, Simon, the witch doctor, he truly was converted. He believed. Never give up on anybody. Simon is an example of someone who is diametrically opposed to Christ, but who nevertheless comes to faith in him under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and he was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Well, the evangelization and the revival that occurred in Samaria was so earth-shattering, so newsworthy, that it says in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria, the two sort of dean of the, the deans of the apostolic group. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Lord wanted to seal and signify the extension of the gospel from the Jews, both the Hebrew and Greek-speaking, to the Samaritans by giving them their own Pentecost experience. So here we have another Pentecost. This is the Samaritan Pentecost. And it says in verse 18, 
When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now remember, he was a new believer and had not had a great deal of discipleship, and he was still enthralled by all of this, and he made a mistake thinking that he could purchase the gifts of God by money. But Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Well, Simon here inadvertently gave his name to a great sin that has echoed through church history, the sin that we call simony. And simony, named for Simon the sorcerer, is that of trying to buy church offices with money. And in the Middle Ages, uh, among the uh, hierarchy of the Catholic Church, this was a very popular thing to do, that if you had enough money, you could buy the office of a priest or a bishop or an archbishop, and it was called simony. And this is where it gets its name. But actually, I think what really was occurring here is that there was a young believer who very quickly fell into sin. He didn't have all of the wisdom he needed. He made a mistake, and bitterness came into his heart, and Peter rebuked him. How many times that has been true for us, for you and for me. We do something wrong. We have a wrong attitude. We fall into sin. We make a false assumption. We make a mess of things. We start out good, but very quickly we fall into some spiral, and the Lord rebukes us sometimes through a Peter who comes into our life, sometimes through our conscience, or sometimes through the reading of Scripture or a sermon. But Simon here responded to Peter's rebuke wonderfully. He said, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And I have every confidence here that Peter was able to disciple Simon and help him mature. And it says in verse 25 that after they had proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, in verse 26, the scene changes. Philip had been involved in mass evangelism in the cities of Samaria, and now suddenly he was called to do personal evangelism on the Gaza Road. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the same area that we read about in the news today. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And now we see a remarkable furtherance of the gospel. Remember, in the book of Acts so far, it began with the Hebrew-speaking Jews and moved to the Greek-speaking Jews, and now it has gone up to Samaria. And now Philip, by personally evangelizing this one man, is opening up the gospel to North Africa. It says, this man, on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. He apparently was a Jewish proselyte. 
or maybe a, um, he had a, some kind of history of Judaism in his life, and he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was coming back and enamored with Isaiah, and he was reading that famous 53rd chapter about the Messiah. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot. I can just see him running, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, so the man was reading out loud to himself. I think it's a very good idea to read the scripture out loud. Sometimes in my devotions, I do that. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Wouldn't you like to ride in a chariot? Uh, it, was, it seems to me like this is most, one of the most wonderful scenes in the Bible. And this was the passage the eunuch was reading. And now he gives us Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, out of the Septuagint, or the Greek-speaking Old Testament. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell us, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And look at verse 35. Then Philip began at that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So the reference in Isaiah 53 was prophetic information about the coming Messiah. And who can read Isaiah 53 without recognizing that? How many Jewish people have become Messianic followers because of Isaiah chapter 53? Actually, you could almost turn to anywhere in the Old Testament and begin at that point and preach Jesus. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Here is some water. Who can stand in the way of, me by, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. This is very unusual. We get the idea here there was supernatural transport for Philip. He had done his work, and suddenly the Holy Spirit whisked him away, sort of like in Star Trek with the teleporter, or whatever they call it, the transporter, I forget, and Philip ended up being somewhere else. He suddenly vanished and appeared somewhere else. I think that this may be the way that we will travel in the new heavens and the new earth. I think the Lord is giving us a preview here of our travel mechanisms in heaven. It says in verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all of the towns until he reached Caesarea. Caesarea was the great uh, Roman city uh, that was the port city of Israel. And we are told that he stayed there, settled down there. Twenty years later, the Apostle Paul visited with him in Acts chapter 21. I think this is where Luke actually got the story as he and uh, Paul visited in the home of Philip in Acts chapter 21. And we're also told that Philip had four unmarried daughters who were also preachers. And we're told that even in the days of Jerome, that Philip's house in Caesarea was pointed out to travelers. So this is a wonderfully historic incident 
It is all about evangelism, all about a man who has a chapter in the Bible devoted to him simply because he preached the gospel and shared the word wherever he went. Oh, Lord, may we all be more like Philip the evangelist. Well, this is Robert Morgan. Join me next time as we continue our study through the book of Acts. This podcast is produced by Clearly Media, and there is more information about all of our resources at my website, robertjmorgan.com. Thank you for listening and for reading the Bible with me, and may God bless you, and may God be with you until we meet again.